This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and Heronext.com. Finally, a comic shopping site for collectors by collectors. This is James Tynan IV, writer of The Woods and Batman Eternal, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Pay attention, Joe Patrick, because it's time to party. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area. My pleasure to welcome you nerds to episode 172 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of July 30th. It's almost time to go back to school, buddy. Are you excited? Get new clothes, backpack? I got a little pencil case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some eraser toppers. Yeah, I got some kick-ass markers. Trapper My name keeper. is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not divorcing all my friends after they went to see the Guardians of the Galaxy without me, I am writing the comic speculator blog for WordPoint.com. That includes my co-host. You were invited. Mm. I don't want to hear it. Unvited. More like it. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not planning outings and gaming sessions that exclude my co-host, mm-hmm. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Since when do you work Thursday nights? I've always worked Thursday nights, and they wrote me out of the Kinky Wizards as well. That is not true. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Bodies Number 1 and Low Number 1. If you'd like to hear more of this argument, we're going to start a personal beef podcast that'll run every Monday. We'll do it in between the It's just going to be week. back and forth yeah. diss tracks. Just beef. <laughs> That's all we're going to do. After that, we'll review 10 of this week's new comics faster than Scarlett Johansson can put a serious hurting on the rock during the ludicrous speed round. Then... We'll have a brief respite in the very clean, sterile THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll wrap about some of next week's comics, and finally, we'll review Seconds, the latest original graphic novel from Brian Lee O'Malley. In our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we get to all that garbage, we would love to invite you to the THN forums to discuss what you thought of the biggest movie premiere of the summer, folks. Sharknado 2 hit this week. The second one. The second one. <laughs> And then we're going to talk about this week's big news. This week, CGI test footage starring Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool hit the net, inciting fan outrage. Not because the footage was bad, but because it was so pitch perfect in tone and visuals that fans are upset that Fox has let the property remain stagnant in film limbo. The footage was animated using voice and motion capture by Blur Studio, a company known for their video game animation for titles like Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, and for the Thor The Dark World intro sequence featuring Boar's battle with the Dark Elves. Which is really cool. Deadpool co-creator Rob Liefeld confirmed the authenticity of the footage, noting that it was filmed over three years ago, which begs the question, Matt, what the hell is Fox waiting for? Is this a big surprise that Fox took a crap on something? Should we talk about Arrested Development for a little while? I mean, like, really. I saw this. I watched it last night after you wrote this up, and it really was amazing. Yeah. Pitch perfect, amazing, totally kick-ass. My only thought is that there was that rumor a while ago that they were going to do the Deadpool movie with Ryan Reynolds after Wolverine Origins, and everyone's like, well, what are they going to do? They sewed his mouth shut and put giant swords in his arms, and nobody wanted to see that. Well, now you have the perfect excuse to do something. I could see how it got derailed after that because they're like, well, what do we do with the character? Do a prequel? Do a sequel? You know, now you've had this fun thing that you did in X-Men Days of Future Past where they screwed up 
you know, continuity. They changed history. So theoretically, you could do anything you want with Deadpool at this point. It'd be awesome. Feel free. Or like you said, when we were talking about it earlier, just don't ever mention it again. Right. <laughs> like It was stupid and nobody cared. Eh, forget about Pretend it. Pretend like it never happened. Right. That's what I do. Here's another Deadpool movie. And if they wanted to do the whole thing CG, it wouldn't even bother me. I just no. watched at Appleseed Alpha, which uh, Appleseed's a manga thing that has been several different animes. It was all CG. It was completely stunning. The technology is there. It looks kick-ass. Screw it. I don't care. Just give us something. This was rated R. And that's what you would have. I to mean, do I'm it. into it. I, I, I don't want to see a PG-13 Deadpool movie. It needs to be gory. It needs to be ridiculous. It needs to look just like this. Fox, who knows what's going on there? All we know, all they know at Fox is we are printing money with the X-Men. Let's focus on that and beat it into the dirt. Sure. You know? It's just three years, three years, man. Like, and Rob Liefeld pointed out, like, imagine what it might look like now. Yeah. Three years of tech advancements. Oh, yeah. And like you said, if they want to give me an all CGI movie that's that well animated, Fine with me. I am into it. Especially a Deadpool movie would lend itself to something like that really well. You could do all the crazy cartoony crap that they do with that right. character. That might seem kind of out of place live action. Yeah. In comic news, Valiant Entertainment has announced their partnership with lowercase I capital V Iverse Media. <laughs> It's important, I guess. I don't know. Creators of the Comics Plus... You know, like the iPad. Yeah, exactly. iTunes. Creators of the Comic Plus digital comics app. Comics Plus has already begun offering Valiant titles day and date. Meaning... Of the day that they are released. Every Wednesday. And will soon feature the publisher's entire back catalog. Even the old stuff. Through the month of August, the first issues of Valiant's most popular titles will be free through Comics Plus. While this might sound like great news, Valiant Comics have already been available through Comixology for some time, but I think we can agree anything that gets Valiant Books into the hands of more readers is a good thing. Joe, I don't know what Comics Plus is. Help me out. It's just like another app, like Comixology, but... It's another place to get digital it's comics. A, uh, it's a digital comics app that nobody uses. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think we can all agree that the week following Comic-Con is terrible for news. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Slow news week. It is. A, it's a digital app, and from what I read online, uh, they have had other features like I don't know if it's still in the current version, but at one point they had like a, a button that you could push on it that would link to news sites, so that you could just like seamlessly cool. check out comics news while you were looking at comics. That's kind of cool. Uh, which is a neat idea. It's just like they are ju they are buried by Comicsology, right? As far as Comixology having a larger selection. Right. Well, not even a, maybe not even, well, yeah, yeah, for sure a larger selection. Okay. But just in terms of like the subscriber base or the user base, like oh, Comixology okay. has something like 5 million people have downloaded Comixology. Right. And, you know, Comics Plus, of course, pales in comparison. But I think it's smart for Valiant to say, hey, you never know who's using what. Right. Make our stuff available. It's not like they're saying no to money. So I don't understand why all the publishers don't do it. Okay. It's a slippery slope. We can jump right back to everybody has their own digital platform and you subscribe to this for Marvel and this for Dark Horse and that like nobody wants that. Nobody wants to sure, deal with that. Sure, but you also don't want one company to have a monopoly. That's true. But and if Comics Plus can do a better job, like I will, I would argue kind of hard to search for stuff on Comixology. Like, if you're looking for one comic, specifically, it can be kind of hard one to One comic it. that's not necessarily brand new. Yeah. Or even sometimes one that is brand new. 
Like you got to go through the whole new this week and keep moving and moving and moving and moving rather than just selecting title or character or whatever. Yeah, I like, have found that the, their catalog is kind of uh, cumbersome. Yeah, and you know, if these guys can do a better job, great. I think that's where they can exist. You know, inventing a better mousetrap, if you will. Sure. You know, and it's free. Like the app is free, just like Comicsology. Sure. And the comics are like current comics. Like I looked up something, and it was a dollar ninety nine. You know, that's competitive. Yeah. I do think it's smart for a publisher like Valiant to say wherever people are reading comics, that's where we want to be. Right on. And I think that's a good move for them. And I think it's totally awesome that they have their entire catalog available. Like yeah. if you want to read Armorines from 1999, go for it, man. There it's it out there. It's a lot more difficult with Marvel and DC because obviously their catalogs are much, much larger, but there's huge gaps. Yeah. Even in Marvel's like monthly or uh, digital unlimited app, mm-hmm. huge gaps, like things that you'd expect to be there are just not there so For i think it's they have, to be fair i'm sure it's a lot of work right and, and all that and stuff it's, and it's a pro there. and it's a process and that's an ongoing. ongoing yeah Keep at it, Comics Plus. We're pulling for you. <laughs> Let's get to the real news, Joe. Let's get to what everybody comes to the show to hear about. Trademark registry. Listen, man. <laughs> we got the post-Comic-Con blues, y'all. Finally, news sites like to keep an eye on the trademark registry for a glimpse at what might be in store. Yeah, we know what you nerds want. At our favorite publishers. For example, Marvel registered multiple trademarks for properties like Big Hero 6, Guardians of the Galaxy, Agent Carter, and others. None of which he did anything with. Before the film and television projects were announced. Well, yeah, there's that. Now the House of Ideas has hit the trademark office once again to register fan favorite character Squirrel Girl. Yay. For use in multiple avenues. Perverts everywhere. Celebrated. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear Dave DeMarco's heart swelling from here. Perverted heart. It's not just his heart. That guy is a furry. Yeah, there's something else (laughs) swelling in there, too. (laughs) So let's talk about this. I'm calling my shot. She's going to be a cartoon. Well, here's a fun idea that I read. What if the Luke Cage and Jessica Jones Netflix series pick up with them already a couple? And Squirrel Girl is And Squirrel Girl is just in it as like the nanny. Seems a little silly for what they'd be going for. Like, nothing that silly is anywhere else in any of the Marvel movies or TV. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That would be pretty off-kilter. Guardians of the Galaxy, bro. I get it. I mean, just wait until you see it. But, they're, I mean, like, <laughs> they're aliens on another world and stuff. You know, like, I mean, so there's maybe there's less rules in outer space. That I, seems a little silly for the regular Marvel you. I'm saying Marvel has opened the door for silly. I'm calling and, my shot. And people want it. I'm calling my shot. Squirrel Girl cartoon in the vein of My Little Pony or something like that, trying to get little girls. Well, there is this Big Hero 6 thing coming out, which looks amazing. Yeah, it does. It looks really cool. And the cast is great. For little dudes. TJ Miller is in it. I don't know who that is. uh, TJ Miller is on Silicon Valley. TJ Miller is the guy that runs the house, the guy with the weird beard and the red hair. Yeah. What was the name of his uh, company? He always wears a t-shirt for it. (laughs) He just took like one letter. (laughs) I can't remember. It was totally ridiculous. Anyway. So it, I think that it is a strong possibility that they're going to do like a, a an animated feature. There's precedent for Squirrel Girl interacting with the main Marvel Universe, and I think that it's possible that she shows up. It's not impossible. I will say it's unlikely. You want a nerd bet? You want to bet on it? Yeah, I'll nerd bet you on you it. You want to bet it? Why not? Okay, so nerd bet, you're saying Squirrel Girl pops up 
In the Jessica Jones? Well, uh, somewhere in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's ridiculous. Somewhere. Call your shot, man. What well, do you mean somewhere? At some time, someplace, she well, may or may not. Your shot, that's not a bet. Your, your bet is that she's going to show up animated. My bet she's going to show up live action. Okay. You're saying live action. I'll say animated. Thank you. Deal. All okay. right. Okay. Nerd bet. There it is. That is your poor excuse for post-Comic-Con big news. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything else you think we missed, hit us up over the THN forums where Joe Patrick is highlighting his new line of unofficial Avengers costume props, including his Squirrel Girl utility belt complete with nut sacks. What? They're functional. Mm-hmm. Every week, my favorite sack of nuts, Joe Patrick, puts up the question of the week on the Two-Headed Nerd forums, and then you guys respond to it. We have a whole other show. It's called The Answer of the Week. You would probably dig it. Joe Patrick, what did we ask these kids this week? Come on, you guys. There's only one question. You know what it is. Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's rap about it. We want to talk about it. Hit us with your full-on, spoilerific, short reviews. What's your thoughts, your feelings? Tell us what you liked. Tell us what you hated. Tell us what you're excited about. But remember, you got to keep it concise. That's Three right. minutes or less. Google will cut you off, and so will Matt. You have until midnight this coming Thursday, August 7th, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype handle is to edit nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline 402 819 4894. You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. If you need more than the allotted two or three minutes, feel free to write your full answer. Let your feelings explode yes. all over the THN forums. Ooh. There's a section called the question of the week. It's awesome. You can type it right there. Some, there's some heady nerds in there, man. Smart dudes. It's review time on THN, where Matt and I explode our feelings all over two of this week's new books. Matt, tell everybody what you're reviewing this week. This week, I am reviewing Low, number one, from Image, written by Rick Remender, with art by Greg Tokini. Here's your solicit. In the far distant future, the sun's premature expansion has irradiated Earth, sending humanity to the lowest depths of the seas, hidden within radiation-shielded cities. While probes scour the universe for inhabitable worlds to relocate to, after tens of thousands of years, a single probe returns, crashing on Earth's surface, a now alien place no human has seen for many millennia. We don't quite get there <laughs> in this book, but it's coming, and I see it coming, and it's okay. The first thing I got to say that hit me when I opened this issue was the art. I first encountered Greg Tokini's work on his Uncanny X-Force run, where he was also working with Remender. I don't know that I have the words to describe his style, however. There is a looseness. And, Ethereal. Yeah, that's one way, I suppose. You know what I thought when I looked at it? I thought of fashion sketches that I've seen. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like the way that he draws. Well, looks, they're very Art Nouveau. Very fast. Kind of looking. Yeah. Right? There's a looseness and emotion to his work that is just unlike anyone else that I can think of working in comics today. The world that Tokini and Remender are building here is astonishing to both view and read. There's some panels that almost get away from Tokini or maybe from me. I find myself squinting at some of the artwork, trying to make out the scene. Sort of like when you look at those pictures with all the dots <laughs> and right. a boat comes out of it, you know, like a three-dimensional stuff. It was almost frustrating until I remembered that the story takes place at the bottom 
of the ocean or inside a submersible, where everything is going to be kind of murky and a little dark. I can see how Tokini's art is an acquired taste, but his talent cannot be denied. This is an amazing piece of comic art by one of the most original artists in the business. Remender's story really surprised me. In the face of oncoming disaster, of the sun swallowing the earth, and almost no hope for an inhabitable planet, he introduces a consummate optimist in his main character, Stell, who is a happily married mother of two. In the face of ultimate doom, Stell believes she can change her reality with the power of her own optimism. Remender does a wonderful job fleshing out her relationship with her husband and children before tragedy strikes, of course, but we won't go there. The world he builds around her in the undersea colony is just awesome in scope and really only an afterthought in this huge sci-fi world that he's building. In the afterword, Remender writes that Lowe is a story he's been wanting to produce since he worked with Tokini on their Last Days of American Crime miniseries for Radical Comics back in 2009. Those assholes. was excellent, by the way. Remender says that he was in therapy and it helped him become a more optimistic person and he couldn't have written Lowe without his newfound optimism. I hadn't thought about it, but Captain America aside, a character that Remender is currently running through the ringer and depowering, he doesn't write positive thinkers. He writes really dark, kind of ugly stories. And this is a departure for him. It is a very dark world, definitely. It seems very hopeless, and there are some terrible things in that world, but he's writing an inherently positive female character here. We've never seen him do anything like that, and it is a departure, but it's a very, very good one. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah, I really liked it too, and it's funny. I read that back matter as well about his newfound optimism, and my first thought was, well, this is not an especially optimistic comic. <laughs> I mean, the characters are optimistic. It's also, like, things go very bad, yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is going to be a very difficult journey for her, but it was beautiful. The concept is huge and weird and fun, and I can't say enough about the art. I love Greg Tacchini. My first experience with Greg Tacchini was way back in the early or mid-2000s. He drew uh, the Ion miniseries, which was Kyle Rayner, like, where he was like super, That's right. like he was all white and glowy, right? Like yeah. he had, a, he was, he had too much power, and there was he became that, like the patron, almost like a god or something of the Green Lantern. Yeah, right. Um, I don't remember all the details, and I know someone will correct me, but uh, Greg Takini drew parts of that Ion series, and his art was beautiful even then, mm -hmm. and it's only gotten more beautiful now. It is a little hard to follow in some spots, but. I loved it. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Joe Patrick, tell me what you read and reviewed this week. This week, I picked Bodies, number one from Vertigo, written by Cy Spencer with art by Megan Hetrick, Dean Ormston, Tula Lote, and Phil Winslade with colors by Lee Lalfridge. Where has Phil Winslade been? I forgot about that dude. I love him. He's so good. I love him. Here's your solicit. Four detectives, four time periods, and four dead bodies, all set in London. Edmund Hillinghead is an 1890s overachiever who's trying to solve a murder no one cares about while hiding his own secret. He's gay. <laughs> Carl Whiteman is our dashing 1940s adventurer with a, white shocking, man. <laughs> with a shocking past. Shahara Hassan is 2014's kick-ass female detective sergeant 
who walks the line between religion and power, and Maplewood, an amnesiac from post-apocalyptic 2050, brings a haunting perspective to it all. Cy Spencer and his army of artists have brought us the story of four detectives, each completely dissimilar to the others. Spencer wisely gives each detective a different set of characteristics. There's no sense that you're reading about the same person over and over, but in a different setting. All four detectives have interesting hooks to their personalities. The Muslim detective dealing with a racially charged riot, the Victorian era overachiever, the possibly corrupt Jewish cop trying to hide his heritage at the height of World War II, and the crazy future woman who can barely remember the difference between a trumpet and a ball, let alone solve a murder. Each artist brings a distinct look to their chapter. Megan Hetrick draws the modern-day section with Dean Ormston on the 1890s, Tula Lote on the 2050s, and Phil Winslade on the 1940s. It's all pretty decent, but Ormston's and Winslade's work really stands out as exceptional. I totally agree. Lee Lalfridge does a great job on colors, giving each time period a distinct palette that complements the various artists' styles. I really dig the concept. The problem, though, is that there isn't enough of any one element to get truly invested. I want to know what's going on with the body, and it's obvious that it's all linked. But I need to spend more time in each time period to really care about their part of the story, especially the future part, which right now reads like complete nonsense. I'm on board for now, but I feel like this is a series that might take a few issues to really get into. It's a strong skim it from me. I think this suffers from what a lot of Vertigo comics suffer from. Uh, Federal Bureau of Physics being one of them. Where I read the first issue and went, that's pretty cool. That's a neat idea. And then I didn't read anymore because it wasn't enough to really hook me. Then I read the trade and went, this book is completely awesome. Yeah, slow burn kind of stuff. Cy Spencer writes Big stories, obviously. And this is a huge time-spanning story. And I really think he's writing for the trade here. And Vertigo sells better. It is an eight-issue mini. Yeah. So it, it is something that we'll definitely read better as a whole. Oh, definitely. The problem, though, is that it's not coming out as a whole. It's coming out monthly. Yeah. And it's one of those things where maybe this would have been better. It's just an original graphic novel. I don't know. Regardless, I really liked it. I'm giving it a buy it just because I, I can see him working. And I think it's really interesting. And it's a gigantic story. And the art is really cool. And you basically had a time-traveling body, it seems. That's kind of what it seemed they like. They were discovering yeah. the same body in each time period and trying to figure out where this, like, where it came from, more right. or less. Well, and there's like secret society stuff going on. Yeah, all and manner of stuff. It's like each time period has part of the puzzle. Right. But it kind of has an anthology feel to it where you'll read it and say, man, two of these chapters were really great. Right. And two of them were kind of okay, and one of them was terrible. Not that any part of this was terrible. There was one that was really confusing. The but there were part. parts of it, parts of it were excellent, and parts of it were like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah. So, it's a strong skim it. I think by issue three, if they keep it up and, and really hook, sink their hooks into me, I'll be on board, like, for good. Right on. I think I'm going to wait and probably read the trade. There you go. So that is a buy it and a skim it for bodies number one and a double buy it for low number one. Of course, we want to know what you doomed optimists and time traveling cadavers thought of these comics. So hit us with your opinions over at the this week's comic section of the THN forums before the ever expanding sun turns us all into a smoldering cinder. Oh, you've always got to be such a downer about this. You can find the forums <laughs> by clicking the forum button 
at twoheadednerd.com. After our news story about creator Steve Moore's Hercules story getting the Brett Ratner treatment, thereby screwing Moore out of any royalties, we'd like to think that THN played a small part in Hercules coming in a distant second place behind Lucy at the box office last weekend. Now, you're welcome. Let's add insult to injury by pitting Lucy star Scarlett Johansson in a beat-the-clock match against washed-up fat Dwayne The Rock Johnson to see who can pin who the fastest. Please! Join Joe and I ringside while we call the match and review 10 of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed, go! Hawkeye number 19 from Marvel. Matt Fraction still works there. Not really. (laughs) With huge delays, issues shipped out of order, and fill-ins, I actually had to dig up old issues of this series to make sure I was up to date. Turns out I was, and I still don't really remember what happened before. It's been a while. And that's the real shame of this series. After such a strong start and consistently entertaining single issues, it's almost impossible to follow and recommend as a complete reading experience. I don't know what happened between Fraction and Marvel, but Hawkeye suffered because of it, and that sucks. Because this issue was really good, but it doesn't stand alone. Skim it! You know, Tom Brevoort on Twitter often takes questions from people, and this week someone asked him, is Matt Fraction ever going to write at Marvel again? And Tom Brevoort basically said, I don't know. Left it at that. All right, then. I, if somebody knows what happened, and I want to know, get back to us with this. Come on, guys. And then Emily was gone. Number one from Comics Tribe. Art- a great title. I know, right? Artist Ian Laurie has an amazingly creepy art style that I won't forget anytime soon. And he's perfect for this story about an ex-cop that sees monsters helping a little girl rescue her friend from the Scottish equivalent of the Boogeyman. Very well-written horror with awesome art and a couple of truly chilling panels. Comics Tribe, coming up big time here, you guys. I'm super proud of you giving this a buy it. The Wake, number 10 from Vertigo. Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy bring their undersea sci-fi horror epic to a close in a spectacular fashion that I didn't really see coming. This has been a great story with beautiful art. Check this out. Collect it if you missed it. Huge. Buy it. Hugh Howley's Wool, number one from Cryptozoic. Howley's best-selling sci-fi novel about humanity living in a missile silo after the surface world becomes uninhabitable gets the comic treatment here. I haven't read the novel, but after checking this out, I might have to. Artist Jimmy Broxton does a great job capturing the shadowy world of life underground, and Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray are solid as usual as writers. I like the premise here and the idea that the conspiracy theorists that believe that they're being held captive and the outside world is just fine, they're welcome to leave whenever they would like to. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I'm giving this a buy it. Deep gravity number one. Come back Deep Gravity, number one, from Dark Horse. Gabriel Hardman and Karina Bechko script this from a story by Dark Horse publisher Mike Richardson. Who would have thought that a story about a man that chases his long-lost love to a hostile alien planet could be so boring? Oh, really? (laughs) There's an interesting story buried in here somewhere, but it's not worth digging through the scenes about capturing and studying specimens Uh, and talking about what it's like in suspended animation to get to it. I love Gabriel Hardman. I do, too. He didn't draw it. Yeah, maybe that's the problem. I mean, the art's fine. It's not bad is the thing. It's not bad. It just, I didn't care about anything or anyone. Okay. So I can't even say skim it. I have to say leave it. Oh, that's too bad. I know. 
Owl Girls, number one from Red Anvil. This is easily one of the weirdest comics I've ever read, and I loved it. Here we meet three private detective sisters with owl heads that investigate supernatural cases in New York City circa 1945. Oh, and they live in a mortuary, and they may be the daughters of Death Incarnate. I'm not making this up. It yeah, <laughs> or they might not be, and we just totally made that up. In I don't even issue know. Issue number one, they run afoul of the mafia, and serious <laughs> weirdness ensues. This is an excellent script by Robert J. Soadaro and very cool art by Rochelle Aragno. There's all... It's a very Italian experience in New York as well. I... This is the highest concept comic book I've read in a long time. It's really bizarre and really beautiful. I loved this. I'm giving it a buy it. I've got to f***ing see what happens next. Yeah. Chew, Wario Chicken Pollo from Image. Listen, only jerks don't read Chew. This is another one shot starring the badass cyborg secret agent chicken, this time on a reality hopping adventure that takes him to places we wouldn't expect, not even in Chew. You don't need to know anything about the main series at all to enjoy this issue, which is hilarious and beautifully drawn by Rob Guillory, as usual. Buy it! George R.R. R. Martin's In the House of the Worm, number one from Avatar. I'm sure whatever story this comic is adapted from is as well-written and interesting as any of Martin's work. The comic, however, is a f***ing mess. I can't even sum up what I read here. There's a royal class obsessed with a white worm that were never shown. One of their people is called the Man Worm because his arms and legs have been removed for reasons the reader never learns. The sun might be burning out, and a spoiled rich kid wants to sleep with a hot mushroom gatherer, but she runs off with a giant man known as the Meat Bringer who kills people called Groons. Yeah, the, the Meat Bringer, yeah. For the rich to eat. Bad art, and I don't know if there was a story or not. F***ing leave this. It was terrible. <laughs> I flipped through it, man. I did not even bother. God, it didn't make any goddamn sense at all. Sally of the Wasteland, number one from Titan. The return of Victor Gishler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Victor Gishler and artist Tazo Betton. Bring Is he a Brit? Is Gishler a Brit? I don't know. Gishler and artist Tazo Betton bring us the adventures of Harley Quinn in the post-apocalypse. At least that's what it seems like they wanted to do. It's sleazy, it's gratuitous, it's kind of fun, kind of, kind of gross, and pretty well drawn. I'm just not really interested in reading more. He's an American. It's a skimmit. Okay. I mean, it wasn't bad, it's just, it's that typical, like, exploitative kind of, the girls got wet, so they have to dry their clothes che at the campfire. Cheesecake. Sort of, but not even really that. It's, I don't know. It's okay. tough to explain. Hey, what do you I having? wasn't that into you it. You having feelings over here? What's going on? No, no, no. It was, <laughs> I don't know. Skim it. Thwack, thwack, crick. That is your ludicrous speed round, and thwack, thwack, crick is the sound of a hitman beating a dude's head in with a claw hammer. Gross. Yeah, as seen in this week's issue of And Then Emily Was Gone from Comics Drive. Brutal. It was brutal. With the Ebola virus arriving in Atlanta this morning, Matt and I figured it's a perfect time to convert the ziggurat into a bio-containment unit, complete with machine gun turrets to mow down the infected hordes. Gotta have them. Let me tell you, these containment suits are hot. They really are. These weird aim things that we're wearing. God, you cannot breathe through these helmets. <laughs> Matt, what do you say we take a little break? 
check our blood tests, and talk about what we're excited to read next week. Sounds good. I'm going to be reading Night World number one from Image. This is written by Paolo Leandri and Adam McGovern with art by Mr. Leandri himself. Here just to solicit Sad Demon Plenilunio. <laughs> Plenilunio rules a haunted castle with his sleepwalking lover, Lydia, and unwisely bargains with the evil empire with a y-r-e to wake her he's in a race for the mystic soul key with a team from hades hotspot and the ruthless helena agents of the empire with secret agendas a four-part thrill ride to hell starts here with humor horror tragic romance and blockbuster monster fights from the cold hit team i'm adam mcgovern and paulo leandri who did dr id and idoru jones these guys are weird as hell, and I think this is going to be super fun. It's got a very Jack Kirby, Silver Age, weird, yeah, yeah. like, demon kind of It looked like it. Uh, Jack Kirby if Jack Kirby was drawing Mexican wrestlers. Yeah, kind of. Joe, what are you reading next week? I changed my pick because I thought you were going to pick this. Oh. My pick of the week is Usagi Yojimbo Senso, number one mm. from Dark Horse Comics. You don't get to pick this. You already admitted that you've never read Usagi. But and... I did. I read it. I read, <laughs> okay. the, I read the color special, and okay. now I'm into it. Okay. Now I'm excited. All I right. want to read more. All right. Isn't that the whole point of comics? You Try this out, kid. He finally grew up. Look at it. Jesus. This is, of course, written and drawn by Stan Sakai, 20 years in his future. Miyamoto Usagi fights as a general for Lord Noriyuki against the treacherous Lord Hikiji. In the fury of the final battle, a metal rocket crashes to Earth, and inside is an enemy that neither side could have ever imagined. It's aliens. Witness the final fates of your favorite Usagi characters in this all-new samurai epic with a startling science fiction twist. Usagi Ujimbo does not meet aliens. Not very often. Right? Not very often. Though there is something called space Usagi. Yeah. That was a that was a Is that like a side thing? Yeah, it was a short-lived side thing. It was sort of It's like not in continuity. No, I don't believe so. No. Anyway, I don't care what it's about. I read the color special. I have seen what I've been missing all this time. Well, we reported on this a few months back. We did. Yeah. And I am super into it. I want to read more Yusagi Yojimbo. It just so happens a new number one comes out next week. Stanzakai, total badass. Do what I'm doing. If you haven't checked it out before, seek it out. Do it. The THN Trade of the Week goes to I Was the Cat from Oni Press, written by Paul Tobin, art by Ben Dewey. Here's your solicit. Allison Breaking is a talented journalist with her own blog and a lot of bills to pay. I know what that's like. So when she, not being a talented journalist, but having bills to pay. So when she receives an offer from a mysterious stranger named Burma to write his memory, his memoirs, it's an offer she can't refuse, not even with all the red flags popping up. But Burma is quite literally unlike any man Allison's ever known because he's a cat. And this cat has stories to tell about oh, how Burma. he, over the course of a few lifetimes, nine lives and all, huh, huh, has shaped the world and another darker story that Allison must risk all to uncover. A story of what this particular cat has been doing with the last of his nine lives. Whoa! Ben Dewey's the artist on that new Busey book, Tooth and Claw, which is Warthog Wizard. We talked about it last week. Yep, yep, yep. And Oni's been doing some really fun promotions for this book. Yeah, like they sent a thing out last week where it's like a letter from Burma, like, dear sir, I hope this letter <laughs> finds you in good, uh, good cheer, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then it's like this chart, like how to tell 
what famous cat from history you are, like what life <laughs> oh, that's kind of fun. in a past life, like are you this type of cat? Oh, well then you were Napoleon's cat. <laughs> you know, you like you helped shape the world because you were Napoleon's cat. So this is a comic book for all the cat gift Tumblr fans. Oh there. hell sure. I mean I just <laughs> I just think that the idea that there's this cat who over the course of nine lives has secretly shaped world history it's cool it sounds fun and that's now really cool. somebody is he wants somebody to write his memoirs and that's awesome paul tobin's great ben dewey total badass yeah this looks fun should be fun after you're done with your white blood cell counts and checking your agar plates let us know what you're excited to read over at the sterile environment that is the thn forums don't forget to feed those spider monkeys by the way that's your job this week i'm not going anywhere near those <laughs> Before we move on, we got to pay some bills here in the Ziggurat, guys. We have a new sponsor we're super proud of, HeroNext.com. Are you sick of idiots on eBay offering you five bucks to end your auction of Hulkoin81? Guess what? There's a new site called HeroNext.com that's heard your cries, nerds. HeroNext is a free, streamlined comic book selling service run by comic nerds for comic nerds. Unlike other auction sites, HeroNext allows you to easily list your comics with pictures, and then you choose a fixed price. And the listings all have links to the CGC Census, the Grand Comics Database, and both the Marvel and DC Wikis to verify whatever comic you are buying and selling. One of the best things about this, the ease of the search engine. Yeah, man. Like When you list things on eBay, it's a huge pain. If you try to find Incredible Hulk number one, it's going to come back with posters, every Hulk number one autograph, miniseries autograph ever made, Rigno pictures, toys <laughs> for some ridiculous. reason. On HeroNext.com, it's just the comics. Incredible Hulk number one is going to get you nothing but. And it's cool. You search Hulk, Incredible Hulk number one, and it's going to say, all right, do you mean the one from the 60s, the one from the 80s? It's got all the different eras parsed out right there. You pick the one you want. Bam. That is it. These guys have already sold close to $45,000 worth of comics on their site. In just a few months. And it's free. They're not taking any money from the sales right now. How can they afford to pay us? They're friggin' saints. I don't know. And you know what? My favorite feature? Customizable comic eras. Very cool. If you think that the Bronze Age starts when Con with Conan number one, and I think it starts when Gwen Stacy died. We're both right on HeroNext.com. <laughs> HeroNext.com. Check these guys out. They're good buddies of ours. They're out of the goodness of their hearts. They're sponsoring the show. We appreciate it. And they really do have a great site. Go check it out. You guys will love it. It's free. Due to the deluge of Comic-Con news, we had to bump this segment back a week. But now it's that time of the month. Where Joe and I get a little crampy and grumpy, eat a bunch of junk food, and curl up with an original graphic novel or trade paperback for a little segment we like to call Take a Look. It's in a book. Yeah. Right? What? Did you just make a joke about PMS? Yes. <laughs> Our cycles, since we've been living together in oh, the cigarette. Oh, I get it. I our get cycles it. have, you know, become entombed. Yeah, I get it. This month, we sat down with Brian Lee O'Malley's Seconds. This is the third graphic novel from the Scott Pilgrim creator, if you count Scott Pilgrim as one, which you should. Yeah, I mean, it was one complete story. Right. Seconds is the story of a young restaurant owner named Katie, who, after being visited by a magical apparition, is given a second chance at love and to undo her wrongs. But as Katie tries to turn her second chance into unlimited ones, 
her life starts to fall apart faster than she can put it back together. The first thing that I was worried about when we decided we were going to do seconds, and there was a, a bunch of buzz behind this book, was it going to be as great as Scott Pilgrim? Because we both love Scott Pilgrim. Oh, yeah. And I think the hardest thing for any writer, artist, whatever, is to follow up their biggest hit. Scott Pilgrim was far and away what made Brian Lee O'Malley. So he had huge shoes to fill here with seconds. And I got to say, by like page four, <laughs> I was already just off to the races with this one. Like I could tell I was going to burn through it. Yeah. It was a ton of fun. And what I really like about it is he's not trying to recreate Scott Pilgrim. This has a completely different feel. The art is still there. The style is there, but he's not recreating Scott Pilgrim. This is not... No, no, no. There's no video game references. There's not as much nerd stuff. And that mainly comes down to the fact he's writing a more mature character here and a female lead in Katie. Well, this is more about... You know, Scott Pilgrim was obviously comical. Right. You know, it was a, it was a highly exaggerated comedy with fantasy elements. Right. This has fantasy elements as well. But it's much more about like grown up life. Yeah. This Whereas is Scott much Pilgrim was about like being a kid. You are a 20 something right. slacker, you know, just trying to get by. This is much more mature of a story. Uh, I will say that I don't think that this will capture the hearts of the pop culture zeitgeist like Scott Pilgrim did because it's not referential. Right. Scott Pilgrim, like people went, oh. Eight big graphics. I love them. Right. Mario joke. I totally, get it. Yeah. And you like know? music, cool music jokes right. and stuff, you know. Um, this is this there's none of that really in here. This is a much more personal story. It, it so it stands on the strength of O'Malley's ability as a storyteller. And he's really good. He's very, very good. Fantastic. I got to say, one of the things that I really liked about this, and I, I made Casey read it as well, my wife, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I, I just said, look, I want to know what you think of this. And threw it at her. She, of course, read it in two hours because she doesn't look at pictures. She just read all the word bubbles. <laughs> I do that sometimes. <laughs> like, just burn through it. She's like, eh, it's pretty good. She hated Katie. Hated her. Well, Katie's not a likable person. And that's where I'm going with this. Whereas Scott Pilgrim was like lovable loser, sort of Charlie Brown type character that you couldn't help but root for. Katie's kind of a bitch. She's kind of a self-absorbed bitch. Well, and the the path her life takes is a result of her own self-absorbed bitchiness. Selfish really. acts. Yeah. Yeah. And like when the story leads off, we see her in the midst of getting ready to open a new restaurant. Seconds is her restaurant that she helped to open with. But she does not own. She does not own. She had like two gay business partners that had a lot of money. The reason I bring it up is because something happens in their relationship and they, it turns out they have a very personal relationship that she was kind of ignoring. And you, the reader, sort of falls and discovers it at the same time. But regardless of that, getting ready she's to... part of the business, but she didn't have a stake in it. She's getting ready to open a new restaurant at another building called the Lucknow Building, which is sort of tucked below a bridge. And it's kind of in ruin. And she picked this building even though... Her other business, par her business partners told her, let's go with this other place that would be much easier. She's like, no, this has to be the one. She's so obsessed with the, her restaurant going into this building right. that trying to 
get it to come to fruition has kind of ruined her life and her relationships. Right, and sort of pushed her to this point where she's looking for all these second chances to try and fix what she's done rather than being thankful for what's right in front of her. Right. And and that's really the, the journey we're taking on here. And I really like that he chose to make this character really unlikable. Kind of a jackass. Yeah, she's like really unlikable and surrounded by genuinely sweet people who are just sort of going about their lives. They just happen to be smaller planets orbiting the, you know, the sun that is Katie, if you will, at the center of her own universe. The art is just perfect. It's Brian Lee O'Malley. It's so it's cute when it, you know, it's scary. Visually speaking, it looks like Scott Pilgrim. It's that same it style. It's like the anime sort of infused cartoonish style, but again, a little more mature in the way that it looks. There's not as much giant heads and screaming and weird tears coming out of people's eyes and stuff. This is drawn a little more slice of life, if you will. Yeah. And well, and every, every page is packed with panels you know, it's full of detail. The design of the book is really impressive. Where it really is. It's, we should also mention it's, it's full color. It's full color, right? Um, it's almost. It's not quite square. The shape of it. You know, it's 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 a little rectangular. A little. It's a little rectangular, but it's not like a comic page. No. And but the composition of the panels on the page is like this square grid that he divides up. And so every every page is packed full of these tiny panels that he fills with detail, but nothing is ever lost. Nothing seems cluttered. No. It's never hard to follow, and the flow is always perfect. And the way the story, the way he tells the story, it's there's a narrator, definitely, like a third-person narrator that's following Katie, but Katie interacts with <laughs> it the breaks narrator the, fourth wall a little, the whole time. Which I thought was really it's fun. Like little panels, like Katie was devastated. And she's like, I'm not that upset. Right. <laughs> He's like, no, trust me, she's devastated. <laughs> and she's like sitting with her head down crying, going, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It was <laughs> great. <laughs> so it was funny and it had a charm to it, but it was definitely not a comedy. No. Uh, but it was also like a, not so dour that it was a slog to read. No, I mean, it's heartwarming. There's a nice mm -hmm. ending, and they sort of come full circle. It, she doesn't necessarily learn every lesson she's supposed to. No. Because she's human. Not necessarily. Yeah. But it it is funny, and it is definitely a fantasy. Right. But it's more of a supernatural fantasy. I can't go into it too deep without revealing things. And it unfolded fairly slowly like you really until you got to the very end you really weren't sure what was going on and he doesn't hand feed you everything either so you kind of get to make some decisions as to what you think happened <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i mean it it you know like it it's got this mm, kind of lesson built in about the dangers of looking back or trying to think that you can fix your mistakes instead of moving forward. Or even right? just losing sight of what's right there in front of you. Right. And that's the whole point of the story is that when Katie is literally given the chance to go back in time and fix her mistakes, not only does she fix the wrong mistakes, but she abuses it and it leads to more and more and more problems. Yeah. And there's a price to be paid for that as well. So when it all culminates, it shows how bad it can really get. Of course, in a supernatural in a context, but I really loved it. I, I thought it was beautiful, funny, well written. Brian Lee O'Malley, 
has proven once again that he is a master storyteller. Absolutely. The shame is that the dude puts out one thing every uh, seven years. Like when did Scott Pilgrim Six come out? Oh, God, I feel like it's been a number of years. Yeah, at least five. At least five. Well, years. I don't think it's been that long, but 2010. Yeah, so almost five years. Yeah, I guess you're right. There you go. I would love to see more from him. Obviously, it's a huge undertaking. This is a 300 and some page book. Yeah, it's full of. Um, you know, help from other people. Like he had an art assistant for parts of it. Uh, somebody's doing the colors for him. Right. But man, I loved it. It's a huge buy for me. Not to mention just to see like Scott Pilgrim was a very male driven book. Brian Lee O'Malley being a dude, obviously to show that he can write a female character this convincingly. And that was one thing that Casey said. She was like, you know, I kind of hated her cause she was sort of bitchy and stuff. She's like, but I mean, she was a really believable female character. Right. Right, you the know? characters are like the characters are all, and Scott Pilgrim was this same way where mm -hmm. the characters, while they were caricatures of certain types of people, right, they were very recognizable, absolutely. And Seconds is like that as well. It's like, well, this is the friend that does not let you get away with, shit, and yeah. this is the friend that always wants to party, and this is the friend that you get drunk and go screw and and yeah, I can tell you, working in kitchens. This is a very, very believable <laughs> like, kitchen setting, right. definitely. I mean, maybe these employees were cuter than some of the ones I worked with. <laughs> but yeah, this deserves a huge buy it, of course. Brian Lee O'Malley is a master. This is a just a great read. You Like most of O'Malley stuff, you will burn through it. You can read this in an afternoon. It's 300 pages that you will fly through. Right. I read it more or less in one sitting. It was a long sitting, but it didn't seem that way. You know, if you have time to sit down and read, you'll burn through it. It's really great. What's the price on this? 25 bucks. 25 bucks for 300 pages, hardcover, gorgeous presentation. I highly recommend buying this book. I agree. It's going to look real good on my bookshelf when there I take go. it back home away from you. Jerk. We'd love to hear what you guys thought of Seconds, so head over to the Take a Look section of the THN forums and give us your review. Next month on Take a Look, It's in a Book, we'll be reading... This month. Oh my god. In like three weeks, dude. This <laughs> month on Take a Look, It's in a Book, we'll be reading Thanos, The Infinity Revelation, a new original graphic novel from Thanos creator Jim Starlin. It hits stands this coming Wednesday. I'm expecting it to be just as cute and personable as this book. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of romance. Yes. A lot of... Uh, Slice of life stuff. A lot of moral lessons. Yes. <laughs> Lives a being changed. Strong female characters. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for episode 172. THN, if you got uninvited to Joe Patrick's birthday too, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or tune in where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Did I mention Sunday, the day this podcast launches, Bill Patrick's birthday? Everyone's invited. Didn't even tell his best friend. Great. <laughs> you would you would think that my best friend would know when my birthday was. I don't but... pay attention to crap like this. Come mm -hmm. on. Thank you to our latest donors, Andy Peters and Ian Kelly. Independently wealthy playboys like you keep this show plugging along. And if you'd like to drive Maseratis and sleep with exotic women like these two pimps, you can make your donation in any amount using our gold-plated PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, just like Ian Kelly, 
It's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a buck a month really does help. Thank you so much, guys. It's not going to help with the Maserati thing. I mean, that's your own (laughs) business. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this nouveau riche list of resources, you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd comic questions or trivia challenges. You can beg the comic pushers for a new read, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, painted in human blood, whatever! Uh, And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, complain about your friends ditching you all the damn time, or just rap about comics. You ditched us! I don't know what you're talking about. Why do you keep bringing this up? Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life, get over to twoheadednerd.com and check out Ludicrous Speed Reviews by Aaron Myers. What's he screaming about this week? Jesus, that that friggin' guy. You know what? There was a lot of overlap this week. He talked about deep gravity. Okay. The Credible Hulk returns with a piece all about the 1994 Fantastic Four cartoon. Oh, wow. Which, let me tell you, was a real piece of shit. Yes, it was. And a triple-sized dose of Kevin Coffey's Batman Forever. He's all caught up on Batman Eternal, y'all. There you go. And he's got feelings. Call him a lot of things, just don't call him late for dinner. Next week, we're playing Ask a Nerd, so get us your comic questions or trivia challenge for comic book egghead Joe Patrick. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the Comics Therapy Podcast. Shockling and Myers, you just turned one, and you're still adorable. Real quick here, you'll be fat and ugly just like the rest of us. You just celebrated your first anniversary show and still managed not to kill each other on a weekly basis. Word to you kids, I'm afraid it's all downhill from here. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer is going to kiss you on the mouth when you do it. Everyone gets a kiss tomorrow, baby. Hey! It's my birthday. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Kiss is not guaranteed. Let's go to the Mexican after show party. Let's try to make it all feel real.